All right, Mike, here we are. We made it just to get this out of the way. Nick's not here. He may join us. He may not. We have no idea, but this, this is it. This is the great one. This is the episode. This is what we are officially calling this the milestone episode Apparently. for Future Chat. We will have another milestone episode when we hit 100 next week, but yes. this is the great one. This is. Mm-hmm. And uh, oddly enough, the greatest episode is the episode where nothing really happened with SpaceX this week. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you want to start us off with another Elon Musk endeavor, though, and follow up? Do I? I the Hyperloop I, is Elon Musk. Come on. Well, the, the, this one isn't. I know. But the whole contest. Sure. <laughs> yeah. We actually haven't heard about a Hyperloop in a while. No, we haven't. I actually, I was kind of like, eh, that was interesting while it lasted. But apparently there are still companies that are, are working on it. And there was one called the Hyperloop One. And let me just see if I can find the company here. I thought it was uh, called Hyperloop One. Maybe that is a company's name. Yeah, okay. So so the company's called Hyperloop One, and maybe the product is also called Hyperloop One. Yeah. Maybe it's to be determined still. <laughs> um, but in any case, they gathered a bunch of investors into Nevada and demoed a acceleration system, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Um, it's basically just a giant railway track, but functions on the electromagnetic levitation that yeah. the hyperloop will be ultimately relying on to to give us this low to no friction propulsion system yeah um and the quotes that were given in the article would imply that the investors were impressed i don't know if they were <laughs> cherry-picked quotes because i know a lot of these stories are kind of tailored to be a certain narrative but yeah. i'd like to think that would be cool to see the there's a video in the cbc link that we have for it that kind of shows at least part of the acceleration yeah. uh, portion of the demo and the ceo or one of the guys was saying that the acceleration of the hyperloop at least their model or their product is going to be no more than what you'd experience on an aircraft like an airplane okay um so they're saying that, yeah, it gets really fast, you know, 1,200 kilometers an hour, but it accelerates at a speed that you'd, or at a rate that you'd expect from an airplane. Yeah. So it's not, it's going to be quick acceleration, Yeah. but it's not like uncomfortable. And it'll be smooth acceleration. Yeah, it'll be smooth. It'll be consistent. It's levitating. And it'll be, yeah. <laughs> There's very little friction. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So th- the next stage is obviously would be to actually build you know, the whole track, not just the propulsion mm. acceleration system, but it's nice to see that we are uh, having some developments that takes this Hyperloop concept beyond vaporware, yeah. and it's actually something that's going to happen. Uh, there have been other stories that we've followed up on where companies have either bought land or licensed land to be used for a track and, you know, whatnot. So it's, it's nice to see an actual Hyperloop product kind of in the initial stages. Yeah. Um. One of the quotes from from the CEO of this company was that there will be a quote unquote Kitty Hawk moment. Right. So I, I heard that term before. I wasn't familiar with the reference, but I guess that's what the, the Wright, Wright Brothers', Brothers yeah. first plane was called was a Kitty Hawk. Well, it was at and, Kitty uh, Hawk, North Carolina, I believe. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, sorry. There you but go. But I so, think it might have been called Kitty Hawk too. There was just that was where they were. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, and that was kind of where people realized that flying is a real thing. Right. And kind of everyone's like, oh, this is like legit. <laughs> so they're not saying that this specific demo was their Kitty Hawk moment. Right. They're saying that the Kitty Hawk moment will come mm-hmm. and it would have ideally the same effect that or the same revolutionary effect that the airplane had on transportation that hopefully the Hyperloop also has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think it'd be kind of cool to have that type of revolutionary method of transportation well it's twice as fast as a passenger plane at the top speeds they're talking about here yeah and i don't know how much how it compares to the the bullet train yeah so so the bullet trains in japan can get up to 320 kilometers per hour yeah so this is four times as fast which is insane right with Um, the reduced friction because they pump out at least some of the air from the tube yeah and the magnetic i guess the, the japanese trains are maglev is the idea too that there's going to be like an air cushion, like per, like levitating the train, or is it? No, I think it's just magnetic. EM. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know one of my friends. He lived in Japan for a while, and he took the. I don't think it was the bullet train, but it was one of their high speed trains that okay. went maybe like 200 kilometers per hour. He might have taken the bullet train. 
Um, but he's saying that, yeah, it's, it's amazing. You can go, you know, distance from Calgary to Edmonton in like 45 minutes yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So it's like really convenient. You can <laughs> go to a completely different city for lunch if you wanted to kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, this would be really cool to, to have people be able to travel across the country or in between countries, uh, with quite relative ease. For sure. So, yeah, we'll wait to see what other demos and developments. Maybe this might become a another kind of race the same way that passenger or uh, kind of commercial space travel is going to become. Yeah. That people are going to start kind of doing a Hyperloop race, which should be, which should be good to see. I think competition is, is always better for any sort of innovation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it, it encourages people to kind of put their best foot forward. Not just competition, but <clears throat> specifically contests. Like having a prize at the end is also a pretty good incentive. I I don't I'd argue that the prize is kind of inherent in if you're the first or at least the best initially, then people are going to want to use you. Yeah, for yeah. their purpose. Like you know, Tesla's a good example of that SpaceX. Yeah. Um. You know, not coincidentally, those are both Elon Musk right. companies. So maybe well, hopefully Elon Musk kind of gets into the Hyperloop game a little bit more with uh doing some demos or at least putting some news forward yeah well he he carries like anything he does carries a certain amount of press with it so him being involved would get the excitement up or him being directly involved i mean yeah so uh your next piece follow-up here is about youtube and this is something that neither of us have actually seen in person but it just seems bizarre reading about it yeah like i don't know what it is about google but it seems like every other week they're trying to come up with some other new implementation of a messaging service. It does. And I have no idea why. Like, I'm pretty sure there's a couple of weeks ago that they had another piece of news that there's going to be another messaging service. And I don't think we even talked about it because it was like, yeah, no. this is pretty yeah. standard fare for Google. But this is just seemingly the most unnecessary messaging service where they're trying to have a YouTube messaging service, which is noteworthy enough that it's not the comment section right because these chats that they're going to have present is they're essentially i am between two people or three people or however many people you want to have and they don't they're not attached to the video but the idea is that you initiate them with a sharing of a video and you talk about the video in this very temporary space you know like a chat window or chat group And then it goes away once you're done talking about it. And I guess the idea being that you don't need to share that YouTube video to a different messaging service. Right. You know, like say Slack or... Or Hangouts. But I don't think you'd even share a video in Hangouts. Like You could share a link to a video. But I don't think... I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I don't just send people a message about, hey, check out this video. I'll I'll post it to Facebook. Or put it in some sort of like forum type thing like Slack okay. is. I mean, where there can be an yeah. actual discussion. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. It's, and again, maybe that's just me, but it seems like they're trying to fill a demand that isn't there with yeah. this. Like, I don't know what type of market share they're trying to maintain with this. Right. Like, YouTube is inherently intent, like, it's a shareable content. It's people watch a video and they'll share it yeah. in some way way or form but i can't see them sticking to youtube to share it you know at the, at the very least they'll post it to twitter or facebook or as google would like to think google plus but we all <laughs> nah. know that that's not happening yeah. but as far as messaging within the site i don't see how that is something that's going to be used right it kind of seems like like we've talked about in the past this could work with hangouts this could you could initiate a chat that is a Hangouts chat that has like a subject of this video. And then there's a link. Yeah. Just like you could have with a Google Doc or a Google Sheet there. They all have chat functionality built in. That could be also a Hangouts conversation, but it's not. And so this is not like those eph- ephemeral type chats. It's not Hangouts. It's specifically n- none of those things. It's another thing that's implemented differently and lives in a different place. It just seems bizarre. Like Hangouts could be this one-stop shop where when you have a chat, a conversation about a Google Drive document, it's a Hangout conversation. It goes in your Hangout, a message list. You could, when you go to YouTube and share a video link like they're doing with this service, that could be a Hangout conversation and it could sync back to Hangouts, but it doesn't. It explicitly is a different thing. 
Yeah. Just and so I see weird. I see the appeal and benefit of that. I, of like you know, both the Google Drive and the YouTube. Like at least there'd be Oh yeah, that's kind of cool. Having the but, option maybe, but I would for me Google Drive chat has no sticking power because it goes nowhere and as soon as someone logs out of the document and logs back in, they don't see whatever chat was there. That's what I mean. If it was Hangouts based, then I'd see the benefit right. of that. Yeah. But it's it's not and to have another type messaging service that does the same thing where it assumedly doesn't stick around i don't see the right. purpose yeah, of that exactly right so i don't know we'll see if this goes anywhere this might just be something that isn't actually implemented hopefully it's not but <laughs> i it's kind of like in in the office when dunder mifflin infinity had like a social networking yeah, feature yeah. it's like why why are you doing this right? yeah like that was parody this is real life and it seems to be happening yeah it's like youtube does not need a messaging service especially when they already have comments they already have google plus message threads that you can start very easily from youtube like there, yeah. there are already ways to do this that people are using yeah doing this isn't going to change that i don't think well that's that's the thing when you sh- either share a video or even comment on a video it shows up in your google plus stream yeah so you'd think that that should be enough to initiate a dedicated conversation to a video. Right. And that, that does happen. Not. Yeah. I've seen that happen. But I guess they're really getting off the Google Plus train now. Apparently. <laughs> and that's the thing. This messaging service isn't even something they'll split off into its own product. Right. It's just part of YouTube. they already have Hangouts. It's just part of YouTube. So Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that kind of shakes out. But for now, just a bizarre you uh, you have a story here about Bell, and I didn't actually read too much into what happened here, so why don't you tell me what happened with Bell this week? Well, we had talked about the issue of the incumbents, the big players in the internet service provider game. Yeah. They have their existing infrastructure, and we're hoping that more competition comes around, but it's difficult for the new players to get kind of a piece of the infrastructure share because it's all like so much of it is already owned by the big players. And so it's not only expensive, but there just isn't enough room to fit in these other new players to build their own infrastructure, right. like fiber optic lines or whatever. So this been put forward that there's going to be regulations for the big players to allow new companies to at least bulk purchase and use infrastructure by the, uh, you know, Bell, Telus, Shaw, what have you. Yeah. And and enter the ISP game. And Bell was like, whoa, hold on here. We spent all this money investing, you know, into this infrastructure. Why should we have to, you know, let these other people just come in and, and give us competition? That's ridiculous. Right. And so they actually appealed the decision that came down from the Canadian government. I don't know if it was a CRTC, but, you know, so whatever legislative arm of the government said, yeah, you have to do this. Bell appealed and that got rejected. And it's like, nope, you're going to play this way. We're going to make sure that it's fair competition and, you know, tough luck, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we've at least brought up the fact that I think these companies do get some sort of government subsidy to build infrastructure. So it's not like they've been left to their own, you know, their own devices to, to build this infrastructure with no sort of recompensation. But, um, I like I can I can see Bell's argument, mm-hmm. but it's like, well, you're playing in like a free market, like, and it's it's this isn't like that's just that's just business in Canada is is fair. It's you know regulated to the, to be fair. So if you want to play here, you have to play by our rules. Yeah. and I think that's kind of what it comes down to. So it's it's good to see that appeal get rejected because I think hopefully it sets a precedent for that type of ruling in other cases, right. whether it be ISPs or um, mobile service providers or any of that kind of thing. Yeah. And again, this is the kind of thing where it sets the standard for future things. Like every, th- this is specifically talking about their fiber optic service and Rogers has their gigabit fiber network. And like, tell us we talked about runs on bell lines. So in theory, they could also once kind of fiber gets out everywhere, then they can, uh, having have their own serv- fiber optic service if they don't already, then it, it kind of op- keeps the door open at least for smaller companies to be able to get that same like things like tech savvy to be able to have access to the fiber optic connections and eventually offer hopefully gigabit connections t- for cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, yeah. So the last piece of follow up here is uh, something that we 
pulled out at the last minute and decided I, I thought it would be interesting to talk about at least to do with Tesla. And uh, it's it sounds like you heard about the Model S that had, the, this guy said he was just using the summon feature and it crashed. And now he's like, oh, come on, Tesla, you like I, it sounds like he was trying to milk this for vir- virality just to be like, my Tesla sucks. It's so stupid. This feature is going to like <laughs> kill people. And so he got into a crash. It, it sounds like it wasn't really a big crash. Like it was a bit of damage and slow moving because it was doing the self-parking thing. And the the whole point of summon is pretty much that a, a tight parking space you go into often can be automated. And that way you don't necessarily have to be in the car. It can park itself. And it basically what happens is you get out of the car, activate the summon feature and then it'll either park or unpark itself. And so you can get into a parking space where you don't actually have to get in and out while it's in that space. And so this guy went through all this stuff and then showed, like shared a picture of his crashed Tesla, uh, having used the summon feature and Tesla came back and said, uh, you're an idiot. We have the data from your car that has been wirelessly like that. We can wirelessly kind of get for crash diagnostics and all that. And they have detailed down to the second timestamps for everything he and the car did. And so they're like talking about how he's getting in and out of the car, like opening the door uh, while while the summon is activated, which you're not supposed to do. Like he broke all of these kind of guidelines that Tesla has for how to properly use summon. And apparently they're like they're talking about how this was going on for like five minutes. It sounds like he was just going through trying to break the feature and it took him five minutes of trying to summon this car to actually get it to slowly hit something <laughs> that it otherwise wouldn't have. <laughs> it's like, got you. Yeah. And, and so there, there, um, there's a quote here, like a long quote, uh, talking about how, like te- from Tesla talking about how warnings were not heated and how vehicle logs say that, uh, like there, there's all these types of opportunities that where the driver is supposed to cancel like the driver has to, is supposed to be paying attention to the summon feature and is supposed to press cancel if it sees something happen uh and the driver had a, all this opportunity to cancel and then uh the driver it talks about the driver releasing the brake pedal the driver leaving the car the driver's door closing and then summon was activated and then five minutes later after summon had been activated the driver's side door was opened again and then and then the crash happened like there's all these kinds of things and tesla's just like no we have the data here and (laughs) this isn't our fault this is completely your fault and like it's clearly a thing of him trying to break the system yeah it's just bizarre and i don't know because they keep they refer to the disclaimer or the warning message that the driver dismissed so i don't know like legally what that clears tesla up right. as far as the responsibility of them to make sure that it does their thing properly but i can imagine that it's the kind of thing where it's like use at your own risk yeah. and that's kind of like like kind of dusting your hands clean it's like well it's up to you yeah. so like they can always make you know a special case where like oh well tesla had a responsibility to make sure that it wasn't too malfunctiony or whatever yeah. but it sounds like just it's like the driver could have avoided this mm-hmm. a lot more than he did so it's almost like just negligence or just malicious intent almost on the part of the driver right. to try to like you said make tesla's uh, feature kind of do something wrong yeah um so yeah it's it's kind of the same way where like i've heard stories of people who try to you know demo their um auto stopping yeah, yeah. functionality and they'll reverse into like a back wall because they didn't actually turn it on first right <laughs> or 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 just or they'll be going faster than it's intended to yeah. And it's like, it, it's like, oh, what, it hit the wall. It's like, where are you going? Like 50 kilometers an hour in reverse. Like, <laughs> it's not going to stop in that time. Right. It's intended if you're like backing up slowly. Yeah. So it's the kind of thing where I think these car companies, they have these features, but it's, it's still up to the driver to use their head. Mm-hmm. And this almost proves a point that automated vehicles are dangerous in the hands of someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Right. Kind of at yeah. this point, like we talked last week, like, this is level three autonomy where you, the driver still needs to be able to intervene yeah. and kind of have, you know, their wits about them. Yeah. Ideally level four, you won't have something like this because the car is able to handle everything. Mm-hmm. So if someone's blind, they should be able to summon their car without having to worry about what the car is doing. Right. The, the most telling thing of this is the last line of Tesla's letter. 
And the fact it's the fact that it's meant to be used. It's it's at this time, it's only to be used on private property. And that was the damnedest thing in this this particular report because he was using it on a public street and it's not meant for that at all. It's meant to be like a thing where you're on your property. Any damage you do is your property and you're supposed to be paying attention. And this was on a public street and it hit a parked vehicle vehicle on that public street. And I think it was his, uh, it was like a trailer or something. I think it was his, so it wasn't like it damaged somebody else's property, but it was operating on a public street. And so there's like with the way their language is written at Tesla, it's like there's no liability on Tesla's part because it, he did this on public property and you're not supposed to, it's not authorized for use on public property. Right. So I feel like that makes their hands clean, especially in light of all the other stuff that, that the other data they have. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's strange. And I, I think I read another article that I just saw and forgot about, about another similar kind of thing where somebody's testing these features and gone into a very small minor accident with a Tesla using summon. And it's just like, yes, the technology can, it's not that you can't crash a car because it has autopilot features. It's that there are these features designed to protect you. And if you circumvent them or use them in weird, bizarre ways, just to see if they break, then sometimes they may. And yeah, that's really it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to keep following Tesla. Obviously this is the Tesla podcast, but, um, (laughs) there's going to be, there's still going to be human fault until we get cars that can't be driven by humans, which is really what I'm waiting for. And what is going to truly make me feel safe on the roads is when robots have control of everything for all drivers. Yeah. So Mike, uh, the first story we for real have here is not that big of a story. It's the release of an app, but the internet, and I hate that I'm saying this, but the internet has gone crazy over it and they they really haven't, but a certain subset of people, uh, have really been enjoying this keyboard that Google released called G board. And this is us only at the moment. Lucky for me, I have a US iTunes account, which comes in handy in instances like this, because specifically Google, for some reason, only tends to release product in the US first for like a year or two. Uh, or in the case of like Google Voice, it's like six or seven years now that it's been released in the US <laughs> and not Canada or anywhere else. Yeah. So Gboard, I've been using, I actually turned off every other keyboard my phone has on it, including the default Apple one, because this keyboard com- combines all the features that I love and adds a couple of new ones that I haven't had access to you know, from any other keyboard. So the, the main thrust of this keyboard is that it has a Google search button built in. So if you're on the keyboard, you can tap the Google button and it'll bring up a search field and you can just search for something. It'll give you web results for that search. And you're able to basically tap that result and it'll either automatically or systematically with a, with a paste, paste data about either a location or a a story or uh, you can do like image searches. You can paste an image in there. You can paste GIFs as well. If you search uh, for those, like it's all, it's all built into this app. Uh, It's got swipe typing. It it will paste peanut butter into the, into the app. I'm confused. (laughs) I'm sorry. I pronounced that incorrectly. Uh, I realized it and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to move past it. But uh, yeah, it pastes GIFs. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, it's really useful. Like swipe typing is, is a really good implementation of it. Some of, some of, there are other couple apps, like none of these features on their own are amazing. It's the fact that this one keyboard has all of this stuff built in. And as far as I know, there isn't an iOS keyboard that has search of any kind built into it, like for web results. And so I find that really useful. It has emoji, like an emoji button built in. So all the emoji are in there. You don't need a separate keyboard for that. Again, not unique, but the fact that it's also in there. Uh, there's typing suggestions. It's along the top bar, like like a few other apps have. There are typing suggestions for the following word or or a word you meant to use. And this is a feature that I actually just learned about a couple days ago from Twitter. Uh, the keyboard, the space bar on the keyboard is actually a cursor. So, uh, so you can swipe left and right along the keyboard and it'll move the cursor left and right, which is just amazing and as far as I know, the only thing that comes close to that on iOS is the um, force touch keyboard, which allows you to use a like 3D touch and move around the cursor like the, the entire keyboard becomes kind of a trackpad. Uh, 
but that doesn't work on my phone because I don't have the success. And so this is the next best thing. And it's all built into this one keyboard. Uh, I noticed you were mentioning on Twitter with uh, you were having a little conversation there with Mark German from nine to five Mac about the fact that mm-hmm. uh, dictation is not available on any third party keyboards. Yeah. And that's like a, a specific rule from Apple. And uh, so that is pretty much the only limitation is that you don't have access to dictation on this keyboard, which is is true. And I kind of forgot about it. But when I started using SwiftKey back probably a year ago or so, I've kind of not used dictation because it's not available. But if I did have it on any third party keyboard, I probably would use it a lot more. I just never see it because I'm always using these like swiping keyboards. Hmm. Yeah, it was interesting when I first heard about this Gboard that got announced and released. I googled it naturally, mm. and one of the first results was a product hunt uh, yeah. thread. Yeah. And one of the product managers for Gboard, I think maybe it was the primary one or the lead, she was engaging with some of the users on there and just kind of doing almost an AMA on it, yeah. like an impromptu AMA. And because people are like, oh, why is it US only? Why is it iOS only? Why doesn't it have voice? Blah, blah, blah. Mm. Right. So, you know, naturally, you know, questions that would obviously come up with a new, new product. And this individual was answering questions and she was saying that, uh, that's where I heard about the voice dictation. Right. Cause I, I'll, you know, I didn't know that off the top of my head, but it makes sense yeah. because yeah. Well, it's iOS. It makes sense because <laughs> Apple is very controlling. <laughs> right. Right. No, it's not, not that it's a bad thing. It's just, I'm not surprised. Um, I'd say it's a bad and, thing, but. I, I'm just not passing yeah, judgment yeah, yeah. on it because I don't like to, <laughs> but, um, uh, what else was I going to say on it? Oh, and yeah. And then she was saying that the Android version is in the works. Right. Th- th- she was saying that they're trying to figure out the best implementation of it for Android, yeah. which is weird to me because to me, Android seems to be more naturally suited to multitasking type. Yeah functionality so you got to wonder why with a keyboard that is literally a multitasking keyboard (laughs) why it wouldn't be on android at least at the same time yeah yeah so that part is kind of weird to me and same with the voice dictation it's like that's already there Mm -hmm. so you shouldn't need to kind of do too much work to implement that um same with swipe typing swipe typing is on the google keyboard it's on pretty much every other third-party keyboard for for android so a lot of the stuff that is offered on this gboard for ios is already in Android. So yeah, there's no reason for it to really not be there. It's just the Google search part that really is the key differentiation. Yeah. Um, the one thing I liked with this Gboard was being able to search for emojis yeah. by, by keyword by text, because yeah. I'm always having to like swipe through <laughs> like, you know, three or four pages of emojis to find the one I want. And sometimes I don't remember which oh, section yeah. it's in, but I know which one I want. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you're able to just type in like, poop but obviously i know where that one yeah. is but it's in my recent one but it's uh that, like that example like it would just pop up as soon as you type that in yeah um you know emoji suggestions i guess is what they'd what they're calling it yeah um yeah i like the gift keyboard as well and again they have gift keyboards for android already and possibly for ios they do yeah yeah um but again they uh it this is kind of all in one yeah which is which is really cool it's pretty yeah like you said it's really the only keyboard that you need it it is and yeah, it's not perfect necessarily, but it's pretty good. Uh, the other thing that I read that this just reminded me of, everyone on Twitter, like iOS users who are paranoid and skeptical of Google and use Apple products because they're paranoid and skeptical of Google, were saying, oh, you know, um, now Google has access to all your, your key logging information. And the app description goes out of its way to be very clear on the fact that they don't trace the only information that goes to servers is as part of the search they're very clear that nothing else that gets typed in actually gets sent to any external servers and to to belabor that point which is this is actually something i kind of begrudge i kind of wish it did do this is that this is device specific you actually can't log in to your google account on this keyboard and so it's not tied to you directly and you can't sync like you won't it won't sync word suggestions between different iOS devices right. on the same account. Uh, it still works. Or search history. Right. It's it's the same uh, regardless of whether you are actually logged into a Google account on any other app like Google famously ties together Chrome, Drive, uh, Gmail, Inbox, all those logins. You only ever have to log in to the, your Google account once on iOS now and it'll just remember it across any Google app. Um, but this keyboard is not, it doesn't matter whether you're signed in or not. 
it it'll just let you in and doesn't actually let you there's no way to log into your google account from this keyboard so those kind of concerns are pretty bogus but again we talked talked a few weeks ago about the the warrant canary it kind of seems like text they would have in there right off the bat be like we don't send your keystrokes to servers we don't track web history all any of that stuff we don't track search history but if that text suddenly disappeared a couple of years down the road, then they would kind of be, everyone would already have the perception that it doesn't send it. And then just because that text disappeared, you'd now be like, Oh, I guess they're sending it now. Um, we had, we had this <laughs> golden future for a while, but now we're just kind of stuck with the Google, um, privacy issue. But for the time being, they're very clear that it doesn't, it actually can't tie into Google, even though yeah. that, that kind of, code is obviously very easy to set up because they have it across Google's apps. Yeah. So I, I'll put the link for the product hunt thread because it's actually pretty interesting okay. to read through. So the individual is named Brie Connolly, mm-hmm. Bri or Brie. Um, and one of the other things she addressed, which I thought was a lame excuse, uh, was the reason it's not in Canada yet, because the reason it was us only is for language. They want to get the dictionaries kind of solid. Okay. And someone's like, well, what about Canada? Like it should be yeah. pretty similar. And she's like, oh, well, the Canadian spellings of some words are different. So we want to make sure we have those like <laughs> accurate. It's like, come on. Like what? There's like OUs. That's like the only difference is right. There's no way that's the hurdle you're trying to overcome by not releasing it for Canada. That's like maybe an extra couple days worth of <clears throat> dictionary additions right. and changes to, to do that. Like, and it's not like Google doesn't already have pre-existing language dictionaries right. for the keyboards. So it's <laughs> like, come on, like give a better excuse than that. Um, people on who are just listening to the podcast are not going to be able to see this, but I typed in L-A-B-O. Labor is highlighted L-A-B-O-R, but labor, you actually can't see it at all because it's fuzzy. But uh, L-A-B-O-U-R is one of the, like it's the next suggestion over from, yeah. from labor. So. It's clear yeah, that this it's, is it's not really as big of an issue. They're no. they're they're conservative in that in app launch regard. They tend to go U.S. only at first. Yeah, but they should say that. Don't give an excuse well, like right. language. I I get yes. saying that, and it is obviously a concern for them being a company that wants to address multiple languages. But it's not a great excuse, even if that is the actual reason. If I remember correctly, when I select a language for my keyboard. I don't even have the option for English Canada. I have English US and English UK. Right. And that English UK right? is English Canada. Right. Yeah. But that's, that's my point. So it's, it's not even, they need a Canadian one. It's the UK right. one. Right. It's the, it's the so, foreign one. Just non-US. Yeah. Foreign. Yeah. Non-US English. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever but. seen that? Uh, they have simplified Chinese and I guess Mandarin yeah. Chinese. Have you ever heard that, the, that there's, English and then there's simplified English, which is US. Kind of true. Kind of true. Kind of true. Yeah. Yeah, So that's Gboard. And I would recommend just in general getting a US iTunes account. It's not that difficult to do, but it does take kind of going around doing some Google searching, trying to get it set up properly. But I had a spare. Actually, are you are you JFGIing us? with this kind of yeah um my it's actually my gmail account i believe that i set up under itunes it's like it was just my last account before i ever had an itunes account and it was relatively easy so i live in indiana i think they make you originally wanted to live in beverly hills because that's the only (laughs) zip code i know but uh yeah i i'm in indiana i believe yeah did i tell i don't know if i told you when i try the beverly hills one a lot of the times it gets rejected. Yeah, it does. Because it's like, you don't live there. It's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> you wouldn't be using a Samsung phone if you lived yeah. in Beverly Hills. Let's be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah. So th- that's Gboard. Try it out. If you're in the US, you can try it easily. If you're in Canada, you might have to wait a little while. Uh, the next story that I have here is interesting. I didn't really read too much into it just because it's like... It's about uh, anti-vaxxers and they're pretty crazy, but this is actually a kind of a positive step for legislation uh, possibly coming up in Ontario, uh, which is the idea that people who want to deny their children vaccines would still, I think they still have the legal right to do so, which is, they do. Yeah. Silly in itself, but um, this this law or law that's pending in Ontario would require people who want to deny their children vaccines to attend a class about vaccines where they 
have to actually sit and listen and learn about kind of the history of vaccines, how they work, how they don't have any scientific link to autism, how anything that said they did has been completely refuted and has caused the scientists to hide in shame. Um, I think this is a pretty good initiative. I think it could go poorly, but in general, I think, um, I guess I'm okay with parents having a choice of what to do with their kids, but that's a dangerous precedent <laughs> in terms of vaccines specifically. Right. I don't know. What, what do you think? You, you actually have a child, so this is kind of more directly relevant to you than it is to me. Yeah. The big thing I see, and I think to call people who don't want to vaccinate their kids anti-vaxxers, like I know you're not doing that, yeah. but I think that that's generally kind of the, the label that gets thrown on people who don't want to vaccinate their kids right. or who who have even questioned mm. it, right? And I don't think that's fair because there is a contingent of those people who are just, they're concerned and they want to know more about it. Mm-hmm. And so they're unsure. So sometimes to be safe, they'll say, oh, we'll delay the vaccination schedule yeah, or we won't yeah. do it or whatever because they're they're unsure and there's an element of risk and whatnot, which I, I totally get. Mm-hmm. And that's why a class on it is beneficial because okay. there's literally some people who don't do it because they need more information. Right. And so sending them to a class is like, here, let us tell you about it. And if you leave it up to them, like the people who are trying to decide if their kids are going to get vaccinated or not, you do a Google search, you know, should I vaccinate my kids? And we all know what type of results come up. Right. You know, you, you get legit sites, you get balanced sites, and you also get sites like you know they're called like nature news or all things com or whatever and they'll say whatever about vaccinations that may or may not be true right um a lot of the times there's elements of truth and a lot of bs mm-hmm. sometimes it's all bs but the point is is that they're not balanced and unbiased sources whereas ideally the government is you know as unbiased as you can get at least in canada in, in theory it should be like they'll at least present facts and and educate right um so so i think if you have a you know a government sponsored program such as a vaccination education course or a class or a session or whatever that that's better than going and doing a google search on the should i vaccinate my kids because yeah. i think there's even been you know studies or at least jokes made about people who go was like oh i'm gonna do more research and they'll look for links that agree with them yeah and yeah. they'll be like oh look see like I shouldn't vaccinate my kids because look at this danger and this danger, whatever. Mm. And it's like, well, you're not looking at the other stuff. So by sending them to a class, you have control over the type of information that those parents are getting. Right. So I, I think, and it's not to say that people who are unsure about vaccinations are anti-science or are stupid or anything like that. Some are, sure. but not everyone is. So, you know, worst case you'll have, parents who already have their mind made up and they'll go attend this class just to get it out of the way and they will be, not listen and whatever. Yeah. And, you know, living in Canada, that's all you can really do. Yeah. You can't, at this point, it's not a legal rec- like requirement to vaccinate your kids. Um, I know some school boards are saying that possibly in order to attend school. Yeah, there, oh no. there's a big thing Is, is it in order to attend school no, or is it like if you're sick... And not vaccinated, you have to stay home no, or something. It was like that. you if you don't if you're not if your vaccines aren't up to date, you you were not allowed to attend school. Yeah, so that's it's a good thing school boards are able to have that power, yeah. but governments don't, and I'd almost argue shouldn't. At least again, being in Canada, right. like I think that that would kind of be overstepping the principles that Canada is based on. Kind, kind of. of, yeah. It, it's a it's a very tricky situation because. You want people to have their own choice, but you also want them to be informed and informed that this is such a non-choice that they should go, they just go along with like hundreds of years of germ theory and science and what we now know about the spread of viruses. Yeah. Um, I, for fun, well, for fun and information for myself, I Googled, should I vaccinate my child? And the very first thing is an ad from something called the Marion Institute that just says no to vaccines, avoid unsafe child vaccinations. And see, Marion Institute sounds legit. It, that sounds like a that sounds like a legitimate yeah. scientific thing. And it's just not. Uh, there is a link here from the CDC, but it's the third non-ad result. And there's more 
kind of, and this is how search engine optimization can screw over actual information is that there are a bunch of things on the first page of should I vaccinate my child that are stories about uh, or lists of reasons why not to vaccinate. Like there's the right after CDC, um, there's three reasons why I don't vaccinate my child. Top six reasons why parents are choosing not to vaccinate. Six reasons to say no to vaccination. Ten vaccine myths. The ten reasons to say no to vaccination. Like that's the first page of should I vaccinate my child? And, yeah. And th- those are search results tailored to exactly. you. Exactly. Because I'm assuming you're you're not in incognito mode, right. so. They're showing results that as scientifically and reason inclined as you Mm -hmm. are, there's still those types of results showing up on your first page and first results. So I can only imagine if someone is the least bit, you know, inclined the other way, what types of results are going to see. If I go in incognito mode, I get pretty much the same thing. Yeah, Yeah. it's the exact same list. Yeah. But not not super encouraging. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, this class is, I think, a good idea at least to try out. Yeah. There are going to be a certain group of people that are never going to vaccinate their kids, no matter what they read or see or get taught. There are a group of people who are scientifically minded or who keep up to date on literature that are going to get their kids vaccinated. But it's that middle group that is like, I don't really know. I would, would like more information before making up my mind. Maybe I should just wait that a class like paid for by the government would be like, OK, well, this is clearly like we're getting all this information. I could go and research it if I want to. This is something that I'm now going to do. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm relatively for it. Although I do see possible downsides. Like you could get like people showing up to protest these classes happening. Like there's there's always that risk, and that's not a reason not to do it. But that's like, mm-hmm. come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, you need some bouncers. Yeah. I think at least one to drag out the the ruckus causes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So the the last thing I wanted to talk about here for myself is that Apple Pay was released in Canada this week and not just through Amex, but through Visa and MasterCard as well as Visa. I, I'm assuming it's just Visa debit cards, but like the if your debit card has the tap to pay, uh, like if your bank is set up to do that anyways. Mm-hmm. So I it was, uh, I believe CIBC and RBC were the two banks that have already turned it on and said, Yes, uh, there are a couple of credit unions and I think Canadian Tire credit cards also uh, are set up. But of the five banks, uh, the five major banks in Canada now, all of them are saying we either do or will support Apple Pay in Canada. And TD is one of the ones that still says coming soon. That's the bank that I use the majority of the time. Uh, I do have a Tangerine account. They're also saying it's coming soon, but I'm very disappointed in TD there's there've been a couple of things that recently have made me think that they might be coming around to technology but the fact that they don't support it on launch day when they have had something like 2 years almost to prepare and get this up and running uh they were pretty active on twitter responding to some people saying it's coming we get your concern uh but we're we're still working out some of the kinks and we'll have a release date for you soon I, I just want to be one of the people that's like, yeah, there's going to be kinks no matter when you roll it out. Just do it right now. And like, I'm willing to beta test it. I'll put all my cards in there. I'm the person who's going to go and try and fail. Like, I'm the perfect mm-hmm. candidate for a beta test. Like, just let 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 us have it. People who are skeptical or wary aren't going to put it on anyways. And yeah, I, I don't know. You you don't have as much of a, a vested interest in Apple Pay rolling out necessarily, but in terms of getting mobile payments being accepted in more places, I'm assuming that you're all on board too, because while uh, in the States, it's it's kind of a worse situation where Apple Pay was kind of the thing to get everyone onto mobile payments and like tap to pay. Canada is better off, but do you, like I'm assuming you still, you said you still find problems tapping to pay most places with your Yeah, I, I tried it the other day at Sobeys again, because yeah. I've had it work at Sobeys and I've had it not work. I don't know if it's this specific terminal, but... I tried it the other day, and I, for me, using the TD app, and this only works with my TD Visa card right now mm-hmm. because PC doesn't support right. it. Uh, they don't even have any sort of mobile payment at this point. Um, they have an app, but no no mobile payment. So TD, they recently allowed their uh, their Visa cards to be linked to uh, a mobile payment. And I tried it, and it didn't work. Okay. When I scanned... When I did the NFC, it said the terminal changed to 
slider insert card. Before I said tap slider insert, so I tapped my phone. Yeah. And they went doot and I said slider insert. Huh. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I guess you didn't like that. There's there's other times where it says processing and then transaction failed. There's other times where it just doesn't do anything. So I think even if Apple Pay is officially released by all the banks here, you're still gonna have each vendor or retailer needing to set up their system to accept yeah. it. The same way that not everyone accepts tap to pay. Even some still don't accept the chip, which is outrageous. I, and they're you actually have that? I've I haven't used I, I, a swipe in so long. At super like you know, hole in the wall type places, mm. you'll you'll sometimes get, you know, chip not working or whatever. Like oh, it'll be like there'll right. be a label on it saying, Oh, chip not working. It's like I think you just don't have it set yeah. up. <laughs> but it's uh it's it's the kind of thing like Canada's actually is it Canada or the US or I feel like it's Canada. They're making it oh no, it's actually the credit card companies that are making it mandatory to accept chip payments. Well otherwise Yeah. The uh I don't know if there's gonna be fines because right now in order to motivate the vendors to accept chip, they're saying if you accept swipe and chip doesn't work, then if the transaction is disputed, you're responsible yeah. for the payment. Yeah, it shifts the blame. Even if they get a signature, it's still a shifted yeah. blame. Yeah. Um, that's it. That's if they don't accept chip. If they accept chip, but they're the for some reason the transaction doesn't go through or whatever, then and they have to swipe, then that's its own thing. Yeah. But they have to at least accept chip. Um, and and if they don't, they get the the shift of the blame. So hopefully, you'll start seeing at least chip being standard across right. every every vendor. Um, but as far as tap to pay, you know, the states are just getting chip. Right. And people complain about it. I was actually listening to a podcast uh, a couple of days ago and they're like, oh, it's so slow. It takes like three seconds instead of like one to swipe, like, or whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. you have to put it in, wait, put in your pin, wait, and then pull out your yeah. card instead of like just swipe and you're done. It's like, okay. Well, okay. So was that, that was the Planet Money podcast? Actually, that was a Planet Money so, one. Yeah. yeah. I listened to that as well. And so my understanding from kind of anecdotes and other podcasts that I listened to about now that they're talking about this, now that Apple Pay is out, is that in the States, if you use the chip, they're, they're a few years behind us in terms of credit card technology. But if you use the chip, you still have to, you still sign the receipt there. Like that's still common practice. Oh, and so they're saying okay. it's much faster to just swipe and sign than it is to sure insert the chip, wait for the chip to be done, and then still have to sign. Oh, so there's no pin right. there? Oh, okay. And so that's, it's just, the chip is just the authentication part. It's not actually okay. the, like they still need a signature. And so they're saying that a swipe is much faster than a, than a chip in that case, which is true because the chip has to stay yeah. in there the whole time. But it is more secure and the move to tap has meant that uh, it's obviously beneficial. Like in that case, you just tap. It is fast as a swipe, but it still maintains the same uh, level of security. The other thing that I think is going on is that in the States, especially in places where you're not necessarily in an urban center, um, their internet infrastructure is not as good. And so you could end up getting like, there are slow places in Ottawa where I know that if I'm paying with a chip, it's going to take like, once I enter my pin, it's going to take like 20 or 30 seconds to actually authorize. Cause it, but where there, whereas there are places in Ottawa, like if you're downtown where you basically hit okay on your pin and then within two seconds it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a difference in processing speed. And I feel like rural America, there's, there's not nearly as good infrastructure for that. Yeah. One, well, and, and I guess in that same planet money podcast, they were talking about why the chip was even invented yeah. in the first place was because the phone lines were used for the payments yeah. and to avoid congestion, the retailers and vendors would wait till the end of the day to submit all their payments. Right. And then that's where fraud can happen because they'll just submit or yeah. not submit payments and it would never get noticed. So yeah, with the, the chip authentication is like an instant verification of that chip ID yeah. and, and over the internet. But I guess, like you said, it's, it's a cash 22 because then you need a reliable or existing at least internet yeah. connection. And it's nice. Like w- we have a really good where even terminals in restaurants, like in a place where you're situated locally, like you could be on a net, just on a network. We have terminals that have 3G connections. I was going to say, totally I wireless think that's and they're an cell wireless. Yeah. They're not Wi-Fi wireless. Right. 
Yeah, I was just thinking about that as you're mentioning the data. I was like, oh, I guess you could probably just do like the the 3G connection. Yeah. And that's what I've noticed. Like, obviously, like we got pizza delivered here last night. Obviously, that kind of terminal is going to be 3G enabled because you there's no Wi-Fi network that the company owns. But even in restaurants, they still rely on the 3G connection just because the likelihood of that going down is much less than the likelihood of, say, their local Wi-Fi going down. Right. So I'm going to sit here waiting really considering possibly switching to RBC because they have already rolled out Apple pay and they also made their e-transfers free for personal accounts. Uh, right now they're a dollar 50 pretty much everywhere else. I am really intrigued by that. They tend RBC seems like they're really on uh, like a technology tear moving forward. Whereas TD really seems stuck in the past for the most part. If I don't get Apple, if I give TD doesn't start rolling out Apple pay in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to really be like, all right, where's the nearest RBC branch? Can I just go in and get a debit card out of right. Apple Pay right now? Because once I do that, that's once I have Apple Pay on any account, that's the account I'm always going to use. So TD, hurry up. <laughs> I, the thing I'd like from a bank is the payment or the transaction summary. Yes. TD recently. Yeah. On their MySpend. Yeah. Like I know there's third-party apps, but then you have to hook in your bank account and i don't right. know what type of vulnerability yeah. that offers you um i've never actually tried like and you know pc allows you to download your transaction history right. to, you know excel or quicken or whatever mm-hmm. um and and that's fine but it's uh it'd be nice if it's just there in the app so you can take a look and you can it'd be even better if you can set up specific like breakdowns like if you want to look at you want to do your own categorization or do your own filtering and all that kind of stuff. That'd be, right. that'd be really cool. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe I'll, I might start just downloading the spreadsheets <laughs> from, from PC and just setting up kind of Excel formulas and stuff to do its own right. transaction summary, Yeah, which wouldn't be hard, but it's just a pain. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's another one where we're going to just sit patiently waiting. Uh, yeah, I, that's, I guess, all the time we're going to spend this week. I realized last time that I didn't say, thanks for listening to this week's future chat. <laughs> uh, but thank you for listening to this week's future chat. And uh, head to unwindmedia.com slash future chat to find past episodes of the show and to tune in next week for episode 100. 